love never fails. Throughout all eternity, love will never fail. Other things are going to vanish away. Paul is telling the believers and us that we should emphasize love more than the gifts because the gifts are temporary containers of God's work. The love is the work itself. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. God's love is so great that you rejoice in the blessing of others. Secondly, love does not parade itself. In other words, it isn't seeking to promote itself. We live in a world where we love hype. We promote everything. And sometimes it seems like we like to promote this and that. And unfortunately, that worldly hype of promotion has crept into the church. The church can try to promote a man. The church can try to promote their name and their programs or whatever it is. Remember that love gives not out of a sense of praise it can have from showing itself off. And it's easy in the ministry, if we're not careful, for people who are seen to parade yourself. Look at me. Look what it is that I am doing. Rather than getting people to look past us and to look to Jesus Christ. So it doesn't parade itself. Paul says that love is not puffed up or that it's arrogant and self-focused. It simply means when you're puffed up that you have a big head. Love does not result in arrogance, but rather it focuses on the needs of others. And for a person to want to parade itself and get puffed up is simply a result of pride and a focus of self. So this was important for the Corinthian believers to know this, right? Because as we've talked about, the Corinthians... They were struggling. They were divided because they were exalting a man and gathering around a man. They would parade a man and and throw out his name, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. Well, I'm a follower of Cephas. And they were ones that they were, you know, puffed up and, and full of pride. And so they needed to understand what God's love was not. We continue, verse 5, love does not behave rudely. Where there is love, there will be a kindness and good manners. Love is not haughty or cutting or sarcastic. Oh man, how we love to get our digs in, don't we? To somebody that perhaps we don't care about. Or perhaps get on our nerves. Oh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get my digs in on that person. We as Christians, we are to exhort and encourage others. As we continue looking at this list, love does not seek its own. Love isn't, in other words, stubborn and inflexible and insisting that everybody else adjust to me. One of the things that I was sharing with the kids before they went to their missions trip down in New Orleans is that I remind you of Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. You guys think about one another, care for one another, care for others. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, instead of being self-centered, we are to be other-centered as Christians. And a big problem that, again, that can come into the church, because the church is a kind of a self-centered kind of thing that is beginning to you know, be emphasized. What's in it for me? And when people begin to develop that attitude, love says no that you are to think of others. 
Love understands that it's better to give than to receive. Love is not provoked. We can become, you know, irritated with those who seem to annoy us. Love thinks no evil. In other words, it literally means it's almost a, an accounting term. They're just constantly storing up the memories of, uh, and storing up thoughts of something that is evil towards somebody else. That is not love. Love does not rejoice, verse 6, in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. To rejoice in iniquity or unrighteousness is to justify it. It is making wrong appear to be right. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. There's a lot that has taken place in our world today that, again, unfortunately, that is coming more and more into the church where there's a rejoicing in iniquity. Well, we don't want to judge them. We just want to love them. That's what we hear a lot about. And so what we do is we end up calling evil good. We end up calling darkness light. You know what that is? That's turning God's truth upside down. And we see more and more in our world, we glorify sin. We rejoice in unrighteousness. More and more we have a society that is declaring that anything goes. And every person has her or her own standard of right and wrong. And we know that's what takes place in the book of Judges that we're studying on Wednesday nights. It was a terrible time in the history of Israel when they were rebelling against the Lord and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the whole theme of that book. And they ended up in captivity and bondage and impoverished and and greatly distressed. Is what we read over and over again because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. What they wanted to do and they were rejoicing in unrighteousness and iniquity. But you see, also for the Christian, rejoicing in unrighteousness can take on the form of hoping that someone will make a mistake or fall into sin. I don't like them. I hope they just fall into sin. I hope they just crash and burn. And so when it happens, they rejoice in that rather than weeping about it and being sorrowful about it. As we see here, he talks about those things that love is not. Then Paul lists five more positives. In verse 6 again, love rejoices with the truth. Love focuses on God's truth and righteousness. We've talked about this before many times, that love and truth go together. And so it rejoices in the truth. It looks for the truth. It hopes for the truth. And it emphasizes the truth. It rejoices in those who teach and live the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. So Paul listing four more positive things that describe agape love. Love is strong, believing, hopeful, and enduring. And notice that when Paul says all things, by all things, Paul is speaking of all things acceptable in God's righteousness and will. Oftentimes I can think, well, I can endure some things. I can believe some things, but God calls us to a deeper and further into love for him. Love bears all things. That word bear can be translated cover. It covers. That is, it never proclaims. It never exposes the errors of others, not, not wanting to ridicule them or bring harm to others. The Corinthian believers, as we have discussed in our previous studies, we saw they cared little for the feelings and the welfare of other believers. 
Another example is in the Gospels. The Pharisees in the Gospels, they paid little attention to others except when they felt that there were those who were failing or sinning or keeping their standards of the law, the, all the minute details of it. That's when they would expose others, try to bring harm to them. So love does not expose or exploit or gloat or condemn. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 tells us that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgression. We can measure the love for a person by how quick we are to cover his faults. Now, love does not justify sin or compromise. Love does warn, it corrects, it exhorts, it rebukes, it disciplines. But love is not there to expose or broadcast failures and wrongs. It, it covers and protects. In addition to bearing all things, love also believes all things. Love is not always just cynical and suspicious and and thinking the worst of individuals and all of this. I think a good example of that is in Job's life. When you read the book of Job, Job's friends showed few signs of love. They were there ready to, to believe the worst about him. They were convinced that his trials were caused because of some sin that he had in his life. Again, the Pharisees are an example of that. They would always be looking for the worst in people. So love bears all things, believes all things, love hopes all things. That is, no situation, no person is ever regarded as totally hopeless. Love does not give up on hope. It doesn't quit. When our hope becomes weak, we know that our love becomes weak. Love endures all things. The word endure here is a military term used of an army holding a vital position at all costs. You endure hardships and difficulties. It holds fast. It stands against overwhelming opposition and refuses to stop bearing or stop believing or stop hoping. Love will not stop loving. Love bears what otherwise is unbearable. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. It hopes when otherwise is hopeless and endures when anything less, less than love would give up. So verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. Throughout all eternity, love will never fail. Other things are going to vanish away. Paul is telling the believers and us that we should emphasize love more than the gifts. Because the gifts are temporary containers of God's work. The love is the work itself. And Paul goes on to explain that here in verse 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. There is coming a time when the gift of prophecy will no longer be necessary. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. Now, when will this happen? Verse 10, when that which is perfect has come. But what is that which is perfect? And that's where the debate comes in the church. Because some say that it is referring to when the New Testament is completed. The full revelation of the Word of God. And some say that when we receive the full revelation or the whole canon of Scripture, then the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and the Word of knowledge is no longer for today. They failed. They've ceased. And since we have that which is perfect, the whole of Scripture, those gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today. Now, there's the other camp. There's others that believe what is being said. That which is 
perfect has come is when we are in the eternal presence of the eternal one, that is specifically when we go home to be with the Lord, speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in context, I believe that that is supported by verse 12. Because in verse 12, we will read, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And what I personally believe that Paul here is referring to when we go home to be with the Lord, that we won't have a need for tongues or for a word of of knowledge. So I believe that the context here as we look at this, cannot allow us really to say with integrity that Paul's talking about the gifts ceasing, stopping when the whole of Scripture has been put together. But rather, those gifts will no longer be needed when the perfect one has come, when we see him face to face. But love will never fail. It will never cease or vanish away. And let's continue reading verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So being a father of four children, when all my kids were young, when they were toddlers, I could go to them and say, hey, let's play, for example, Ring Around the Rosie. They would say, great. But if I go to any of my kids today and do that, my oldest being a young adult, hey, let's play Ring Around the Rosie, they would look at me, what's what's up with you, Dad? I'm not going to play that because they put those childish things away. It was appropriate for them when they were toddlers, but now that they've grown up, it's not. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are appropriate for today. And understand what is being emphasized here. But the gifts of the Spirit will not be appropriate forever. Now, Paul is not saying that if we are spiritually mature, we will not need spiritual gifts. As we grow in the Lord, as we mature in the Lord, I still need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I I still need those gifts operating in my life. And what Paul would write to the Galatians is what has begun in the Spirit, don't try to perfect in the flesh. So I don't want to think that i got to perfect things in the flesh. I need the gifts of the Spirit working in my life. I need the gifts of the Spirit flowing through me and what God has called me to do. The gifts of the Spirit are very important for the health and the effectiveness of the body of Christ. So what I believe he's emphasizing and saying that if we are spiritually mature, we will not overemphasize spiritual gifts at the expense of love. There will be a fullness when I stand in the presence of my Lord. I will be complete, and many of the things that I do today as I look back on them from that vantage will appear very childish. I won't come into that completeness and fullness until I'm with the Lord. And those things, prophecy and tongues and word of knowledge, will no longer be necessary, set aside. I've entered into the fullness there with Jesus. But those gifts are for today, for the edification of the church and for the believers. So now we see in a mirror dimly, keep in mind that in Paul's day, they don't have mirrors like what we have. They weren't as available any mirror that they did have. And those mirrors 2,000 years ago were just pretty much polished brass. Every one of us, I believe, probably looked into a mirror this morning before we came to church. But it wasn't that way back then. It was polished metal or something, and it never gave a true reflection. The reflection was distorted. It wasn't clear. And Paul says that's kind of the way it is for us right now. It's not all clear. Lots of questions that we still have, don't we? We don't have a full understanding. 
when I teach through the Bible and, and I've taught through the Bible, there are times, and you go through verse by verse, there are times where I say, I'm not quite sure what this means. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. And still studying, still learning, and, and, and we don't fully have an understanding all the time of things that go on in our lives and what takes place. People say, why did this happen, Pastor Jeff? And I say, I don't know. We can fall back on the things that we do know. And that is God's love. And I realize that I don't know everything. But the day is going to come then face to face. Soon we will see our Lord face to face. And when we get to heaven, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us that we will see him as he is. There will be no more barriers to our relationship with God. And then at the end of verse 12, Paul says something kind of interesting. But that is that when I get to heaven, when I see my Lord face to face, then I shall know just as I am known. So people ask me that when we get to heaven, will we recognize each other? In a couple weeks, when we get into the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to give a long explanation about the resurrection and how one day we're going to get new heavenly bodies. When we go home to be with the Lord, we're going to get new heavenly bodies. We'll talk more about that. And they're going to be very different, obviously. This, this body, this tent here, is going to wear out. So when I get a new heavenly body, I'm sure that I'm going to be more thin. I'm sure I'm going to have more hair. I'm going to be more handsome than I am today. At least that's my prayer. So you're wondering, how can we recognize you then, Pastor Jeff? Well, we'll be able to recognize each other. I don't think we'll be more ignorant up in heaven than we are here. So we will know each other, and I think this is telling us that we're going to be known even as we are known. I think it's indicating we will know each other, obviously speaking of, of God knowing me, but I believe that we're going to be known by our loved ones that we're going to see in heaven and other saints that will be with us throughout all eternity. And then as we finish this morning, chapter 13, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith is believing because God said it. My faith is based upon the word of God. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the word of God. God said it, I believe it. It abides, it always remains. Even when I get to heaven, I'll have faith in what God says. His promises are true for me. Now the word that he's given to me will fail. Hope is that expectation of God's promises again. That because we have come in faith to Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. We don't say, I hope I go to heaven. But we have the hope of heaven. It's come in certainty. And then, as we continue on, thirdly, love abides. It will never fail. It will always be there. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. Faith and hope are both encompassed by love. Thus, the greatest of all is love. It's greater than the gifts. It's the greatest thing that you and I can have is God's love flowing in you, flowing from you, being worked out in your life. Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples for what? Prophesying? Speaking in tongues? Giving the word of knowledge? No, you know the verse. They will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. And if you do not have love, then those things don't profit you. If there's no love in this fellowship for one another, we've missed it, folks. We have really missed it. Even though ministry could be happening, the gifts are being used and operating, but if there's no love, it doesn't mean anything. 
Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation chapter 2. He noted them for their works and their patience and standing on truth and exposing that which is false. He even said, you're known for your works twice. They were a working church. Things were happening. I just pictured a church at Ephesus. You know, things are going on and ministry is taking place and Bible studies are happening and they're digging into the scripture. But he said, I have one thing against you and that is you've left your first love. He rebuked him on that. You've left your first love. And go back and return. And if not, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. God will not be in a place where there is no love. And if we're not loving one another, and you see so much in the church today, what we can emphasize is the hype and all the other things. And as we mature in the Lord, what we should be emphasizing is there love in this church, whether it's a few people or many people. Is there love, and is love flowing from me? And is love flowing from this church? When you get involved, for example, in giving of those kids the school supplies, are you doing it out of love? If you do any ministry, whether it's with the children or Whatever it might be, are you doing it because of your love? It's the love of God that motivates me, is what Paul would write. Is there love in your heart and love for others because you care? Do we care about giving the love of Jesus Christ to our children? Or is it, oh God, I have to go or I should go. or? But to really, really pray through this. You know one way that we can, real easy test to know how we're doing in God's love. Go through this chapter when you get alone. And then everywhere where there's love, put your name in it. Jeff suffers long. Jeff is kind. Jeff does not envy. Go through it and you can really see how you're doing. You get a whole idea where you're at concerning agape love. Now you put Jesus' name in there, it fits perfectly. But put your name in there. I put my name in there. Let's see how we're doing. Let's put Calvary Chapel in there. Let's see how we're doing. One more point and we're going to close. God's love cannot be faked or hyped. And I believe that the reason that it is put in the middle of this whole discussion about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not only is he emphasizing showing a more excellent way than desiring the best gifts. The gifts are important. Don't misunderstand. But without love, it profits us nothing. But I believe that he also puts this in the middle of the discussion of the work of the Holy Spirit because we can't fake this, folks. It can't be a work of the flesh. It has to be a work of what? God's Holy Spirit. God working this in our lives. You know, before I got saved, I really cared very little for people. I just wanted to be left alone. But God is still working his love in me, still growing that in me. But you have the same testimony, I'm sure many of you, that coming to Jesus Christ, we love him because he first loved us. And he's put that love in us, and we care for others all of a sudden, for others that otherwise we would have never even thought about. And we grieve for others when we see them not doing well. And we know that there's eternal consequences for those who reject Jesus Christ. And that love is put into us. That's agape love, kind and suffers long. And all the things that we talked about, it can't be hyped or faked. 
It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we surrender to Him, as we come to Him. One other thing. If there's anybody here that you have not given your life to Jesus Christ and surrendered, know this, that God proved His love, demonstrated His love towards you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He went to that cross, Calvary's cross, because of His love for you. And He's been patient and long-suffering. And He desires for you to know of His love and to experience His love if you've never done this, if you never really surrendered your heart to Him, maybe you thought, I'll be okay if I come to church and hear a Bible study. Or maybe if I do good things. Or maybe you think that God would never love you. His love for you is here. That's why He went to the cross. He wants you to experience His love as you surrender yourself to Him, knowing that I can receive forgiveness of sin because God's love is far-reaching to reach the most unlovable, most, most sinning person, most skeptic person, whatever it might be. He loves you. And that's why He died for you. Surrender your heart to Him. Experience His love and allow Him to put His love into your heart. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.